Chapter Two of the Gorilla Hunters by R. M. Ballantyne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Del de Pinoroles. Chapter Two: Life in the Wild Woods. One night, about five or six weeks after our resolution to go to Africa on a hunting expedition was formed, I put to myself the question: Can it be possible that we are actually here in the midst of it? certainly my boy in the very thick of it answered peterkin in a tone of voice which made jack laugh while i started and exclaimed why peterkin how did you come to guess my thoughts because ralph you have got into a habit of thinking aloud which may do very well as long as you have no secrets to keep but it may prove inconvenient some day so i warn you in time not feeling disposed at that time to enter into a bantering conversation with my volatile companion i made no reply but abandoned myself again to the pleasing fancies and feelings which were called up by the singular scene in the midst of which i found myself it seemed as if it were but yesterday when we drove about the crowded streets of london making the necessary purchases for our intended journey and now as i gazed around every object that met my eye seemed strange and wild and foreign and romantic we three were reclining round an enormous wood fire in the midst of a great forest the trees and plants of which were quite new to me and totally unlike those of my native land rich luxuriance of vegetation was the feature that filled my mind most tall palms surrounded us throwing their broad leaves overhead and partially concealing the starlit sky tough limbs of creeping plants and wild vines twisted and twined round everything and over everything giving to the woods an appearance of tangled impenetrability but the beautiful leaves of some and the delicate tendrils of the other half concealed the sturdy limbs of the trees and threw over the whole a certain air of wild grace as might a semi-transparent and beautiful robe if thrown around the form of a savage the effect of a strong fire in the woods at night is to give to the surrounding space an appearance of ebony blackness against which dark ground the gnarled stems and branches and pendant foliage appear as if traced out in light and lovely colours which are suffused with the warm rich toes from the blaze we were now in the wilds of africa although as i have said i found it difficult to believe the fact jack and i wore loose brown shooting coats and pantaloons but we had made up our minds to give up waistcoats and neckcloths so that our scarlet flannel shirts with turned-down collars gave to us quite a picaresque and brigand-like appearance as we encircled the blaze peterkin smoking vigorously for he had acquired that bad and very absurd habit at sea jack smoked too but he was not so inveterate as peterkin jack was essentially moderate in his nature he did nothing violently or in a hurry but this does not imply that he was slow or lazy he was leisurely in disposition and circumstances seldom required him to be otherwise when peterkin or i had to lift heavy weights we were obliged to exert our utmost strength and agitate our whole frames but jack was so powerful that a comparatively slight effort was all that he was usually obliged to make again when we two were in a hurry we walked quickly but jack's long limbs enabled him to keep up to us without effort nevertheless there were times when he was called upon to act quickly and with energy on these occasions he was as active as peterkin himself but his movements were tremendous it was i almost may say awful to behold jack when acting under powerful excitement he was indeed a splendid fellow 
and not by any means deserving the name of gorilla, which Peterkin had bestowed upon him. But to continue my description of our costume, we all wore homespun grey trousers of strong material. Peterkin and Jack wore leggings in addition, so that they seemed to have on what are now termed knickerbockers. Peterkin, however, had no coat. He preferred a stout grey flannel shirt hanging down to his knees and belted round his waist in the form of a tunic. Our tastes in headdress were varied. Jack wore a pork pie cap. Peterkin and I had wide awakes. My facetious little companion said that I had selected this species of hat because I was always more than half asleep. Being peculiar in everything, Peterkin wore his wide awake in an unusual manner, namely, turned up at the back, down at the front, and curled very much up in the sides. We were so filled with admiration of Jack's magnificent beard and moustache that Peterkin and I had resolved to cultivate ours while in Africa. But I must say, as I looked at Peterkin's face, the additional hair was not at that time an improvement, and I believe that much more could not have been said for myself. The effect on my little comrade was to cause the lower part of his otherwise good-looking face to appear extremely dirty. "'I wonder,' said Peterkin, after a long silence, "'if we shall reach the nigger's village in time for the hunt tomorrow. "'I fear that we have spent too much time in this wild goose chase.' "'Wild goose chase, Peterkin?' I exclaimed. "'Do you call hunting the gorilla by such a term?' "'Hunting the gorilla? No, certainly.' but looking for the gorilla in a part of the woods where no such beast was ever heard of since Adam was a schoolboy. "'Nay, Peterkin,' interrupted Jack, "'we are getting very near to the gorilla country, and you must make allowance for the enthusiasm of a naturalist.' "'Ah, we shall see where the naturalist's enthusiasm will fly to when we actually do come face to face with the big puggy.' "'Well,' said I, apologetically, "'I won't press you to go hunting again.' I'll be content to follow. Press me, my dear Ralph, exclaimed Peterkin hastily, fearing that he had hurt my feelings. Why, man, I do but jest with you. You are so horridly literal. I'm overjoyed to be pressed to go on the maddest wild goose chase that ever was invented. My greatest delight would be to go gorilla hunting down Fleet Street, if you are so disposed. But to be serious, Jack, do you think we shall be in time for the elephant hunt tomorrow? "'Aye, in capital time, if you don't knock up.' "'What? I knock up? "'I've a good mind to knock you down "'for suggesting such an egregious impossibility.' "'That's an impossibility anyhow, Peterkin, "'because I'm down already,' said Jack, "'yawning lazily and stretching out his limbs "'in a more comfortable and degage manner. "'Peterkin seemed to ponder "'as he smoked his pipe for some time in silence.' "'Ralph,' said he, looking up suddenly, "'I don't feel a bit sleepy, and yet I'm tired enough.' "'You are smoking too much, perhaps,' I suggested. "'It's not that,' cried Jack. "'He's eaten too much supper.' "'Race insinuation,' retorted Peterkin. "'Then it must be the monkey. "'That's it. "'Roast monkey does not agree with you.' "'Do you know, I shouldn't wonder if you are right, and it's a pity, too, for we shall have to live a good deal on such fare, I believe. However, I suppose we shall get used to it. But I say, boys, isn't it jolly to be out here living like savages? I declare it seems to me like a dream or romance. Just look, Ralph, at the strange wild creepers that are festooned overhead, 
and the great tropical leaves behind us, and the clear sky above, with the moon. Ah, the moon! Yes, that's one comfort. The moon is unchanged. The same moon that smiles down upon us through tangled meshwork of palm leaves and wild vines and monkey's tails is peeping down the chimney-pots of London and Edinburgh and Dublin. Why, Peterkin, you must have studied hard in early life to be so good a geographer. Rather, observed Peterkin. Yes, and look at the strange character of the tree-stems, said I, unwilling to let the subject drop. See those huge palmettos, like, like, overgrown cabbages, suggested Peterkin, and he continued, Observe the quaint originality of form in the body and limbs of that bloated old spider that is crawling up your leg, Ralph. I started involuntarily, for there is no creature of which I have a greater abhorrence than a spider. Where is it? Oh, I see. And the next moment I secured my prize and placed it with loathing, but interest, in my entomological box. At that moment a hideous roar rang through the woods, seemingly close behind us. We all started to our feet, and seizing our rifles, which lay beside us, ready loaded, cocked them and drew close together round the fire. "'This won't do, lads,' said Jack, after a few minutes' breathless suspense, during which the only sound we could hear was the beating of our own hearts. "'We have allowed the fire to get too low, and we've forgotten to adopt our friend the traitor's advice and make two fires.' So saying, Jack laid down his rifle and kicking the logs with his heavy boot, sent up such a cloud of bright sparks as must certainly have scared the wild animal, whatever it was, away, for we heard no more of it that night. "'You're right, Jack,' remarked Peterkin. "'So let us get up a blaze as fast as we can, and I'll take the first watch, not being sleepy. Come on.' In a few minutes we cut down with our axes a sufficient quantity of dry wood to keep two large fires growing all night. We then kindled our second fire at a few yards distant from the first, and made our camp between them. This precaution we took in order to scare away the wild animals whose cries we heard occasionally during the night. Peterkin, having proposed to take the first watch, for we had to watch by turns all the night through, lighted his pipe and sat down before the cheerful fire with his back against the stem of a palm tree and his rifle lying close to his hand to be ready in case of a surprise there were many natives wandering about in that neighbourhood some of whom might be ignorant of our having arrived at their village on a peaceful errand if these should have chanced to come upon us suddenly there was no saying what they might do in their surprise and alarm so it behooved us to go on our guard Jack and I unrolled the light blankets that we carried strapped to our shoulders through the day, and laying ourselves down side by side with our feet to the fire and our heads pillowed on a soft pile of sweet-scented grass, we addressed ourselves to sleep. But sleep did not come so soon as I expected. I have often noted with some surprise and much interest the curious phases of the phenomenon of sleep. When I have gone to bed excessively fatigued and expecting to fall asleep almost at once, I have been surprised and annoyed to find that the longer I wooed the drowsy god, the longer he refused to come to me. And at last, when I have given up the attempt in despair, he has suddenly laid his gentle hand upon my eyes and carried me into the land of Nod. Again, when I have been exceedingly anxious to keep awake, I have been attacked by sleep with such irresistible energy that I have been unutterly able to keep my eyelids open or my head erect 
and have sat with my eyes blinking like those of an owl in the sunshine, and my head nodding like that of a Chinese mandarin. On this our first night in the African bush, at least our first night on a hunting expedition, we had been many nights in the woods on our journey to that spot, on this night, I say, Jack and I could by no means get to sleep for a very long time after we lay down, but continued to gaze up through the leafy screen overhead at the stars, which seemed to wink at us, I almost fancied, jocosely. We did not speak to each other, but purposely kept silent. After a time, however, Jack groaned and said softly, "'Ralph, are you asleep?' "'No,' I said, yawning. "'I am quite sure that Peterkin is.' said jack raising his head and looking across the fire at the half recumbent form of our companion is he said peterkin in a low tone just about as sound as a weasel jack said i well i can't sleep a wink <sighs> isn't it odd no more can i do you know ralph i've been counting the red berries in that tree above me for half an hour in the hope that the monotonous thing would send me off, but I was interrupted by a small monkey who has been sitting up among the branches and making faces at me for full twenty minutes. There it is yet, I believe. Do you see it? No, where? Almost above your head. I gazed upward intently for a few minutes, until I thought I saw the monkey, but it was very indistinct. Gradually, however, it became more defined. Then, to my surprise, it turned out to be the head of an elephant. I was not only amazed, but startled at this. "'Get your rifle, Jack,' said I, in a low whisper. Jack made some sort of reply, but his voice sounded hollow and indistinct. Then I looked up again, and saw that it was the head of a hippopotamus, not that of an elephant, which was looking down at me. Curiously enough, I felt little or no surprise at this and when in the course of a few minutes I observed a pair of horns growing out of the creature's eyes, and a bushy tail standing erect on the apex of its head, I ceased to be astonished at the sight altogether, and regarded it as quite natural and commonplace. The object afterwards assumed the appearance of a lion with a crocodile's bale, and a serpent with a monkey's head, and lastly of a gorilla, without producing in me any other feeling than that of profound indifference. Gradually the whole scene vanished, and I became totally oblivious. This state of happy unconsciousness had scarcely lasted, it seemed to me, two minutes, when I was awakened by Peterkin laying his hand on my shoulder and saying, Now then, Ralph, it's time to rouse up. Oh, Peterkin, said I, in a tone of remonstrance, how could you be so unkind as to waken me when I had just got to sleep? Shabby fellow. Just got to sleep, say you? You've been snoring like an apoplectic alderman for exactly two hours. "'You don't say so!' I exclaimed, getting into a sitting posture. "'Indeed you have. I'm sorry to rouse you, but time's up, and I'm sleepy. So rub your eyes, man, and try to look a little less like an astonished owl, if you can. I have just replenished both the fires, so you can lean your back against that palm tree and take it easy for three-quarters of an hour or so. After that you'll have to heap on more wood.' I looked at Jack, who was now lying quite unconscious, breathing with the slow, deep regularity of profound slumber, and with his mouth wide open. "'What a chance for some waggish baboon to drop a nut or a berry in,' said Peterkin, winking at me with one eye as he lay down in the spot from which I had just risen. He was very sleepy, poor fellow, and could hardly smile at his own absurd fancy. 
he was asleep almost instantly in fact i do not believe that he again opened the eye which he had winked at me but that he merely shut the other and began to slumber forthwith i now began to feel quite interested in my responsible position as guardian of the camp i examined my rifle to see that it was in order and capped then leaning against the palm tree which was as it were my sentry-box i stood erect and rubbed my hands and took off my cap so that the pleasant night air might play about my temples and more effectually banish drowsiness in order to accomplish this more thoroughly i walked round both fires and readjusted the logs sending up showers of sparks as i did so then i went to the edge of the circle of light in the centre of which our camp lay and peered into the gloom of the dark forest there was something inexpressibly delightful yet solemn in my feelings as i gazed into that profound obscurity for the great tree stems and the wild gigantic foliage nearest to me appeared ghost-like and indistinct and the deep solitudes of which were peopled not only with the strange fantastic forms of my excited fancy but as i knew full well with real wild creatures both huge and small such as my imagination at that time had not fully conceived i felt awed almost oppressed with the deep silence around and i must confess looked somewhat nervously over my shoulder as i returned to the fire and sat down to keep watch on my post End of chapter two Recording by Adele de Pinerolis.